Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world? How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts. It began long ago. Two young boys in an American town riding their bikes to school and Little League practice. Over the years, the boys became fast friends, united in their love for stories where things would go horribly wrong. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. You're in The Shallow End with Schneebly and Toth. Welcome to The Shallow End with Schneebly and Toth. I guess that's sort of a waste of verbiage <laughs> since, <laughs> since the lifeguard already yeah. said. And and they searched Shallow End podcast with Schneebly and Toth and downloaded yeah. it. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, I just forget I... Forget I said anything. <laughs> I uh, I was thinking of you and Kat uh, this morning, JG, because uh, my good friend John Adi up in the Bay Area uh, is a dog guy himself. Uh-huh. Has a uh, fantastic shepherd named Cody, Ooh. and John loves sending me stories about uh, about dogs. And he sent a CNN story this morning, and the title is. New York shelter wants you to adopt this jerk dog. <laughs> <laughs> and this is in Niagara, New York, Niagara County. <clears throat> this dog is a fire-breathing demon, but the Niagara SPCA wants you to adopt him anyway. They're a, a, a non-profit animal shelter in New York's Niagara <laughs> County, and they have attracted attention on social media for its eye-catching ad for Ralphie, a rescue dog looking for a new home. Most adoption ads focus on the good qualities about an animal, the traits that might make a potential family choose to give a dog or cat their forever home. But this Niagara SPCA chose a different technique for Ralphie. Quote, We don't actually have too many nice things to say, so we're just going to come out with it, they wrote in a Facebook post. At first glance, he's an adorable, highly sought-after young dog. People should be banging down our doors for him. But in reality... Ralphie is a terror in a somewhat small package. <laughs> We're sure you're thinking my ankles will be just fine. Well, we'd caution proceed at your own risk. <laughs> they say the 26-pound dog has already been adopted twice. His first owners had to rehome him after an unsuccessful training process. Then, two weeks into this new home, and he was surrendered to us because he annoys our older dog. What they actually meant was, Ralphie is a fire-breathing demon and will eat our dog, but hey, he's only 26 pounds. 
The shelter says Ralphie is a whole jerk, not even half a jerk. Everything belongs to him. If you dare test his ability to possess the things, wrath will ensue. If you show a moment of weakness, prepare to be exploited. (laughs) They close with, the ideal home for Ralphie is the mother of dragons, or an adult home free of other animals with an owner who will lead him calmly and sternly, putting up with zero crap. (laughs) (laughs) Where did you find that article? That was on CNN. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Talking about the Niagara SPCA. And my guess is, since this just hit this morning, that Ralphie might still be up for adoption. Well, there you go. If you want to adopt a fire-breathing demon, um, demon. have at it. Uh, I love I love. Uh, Ralphie is a whole jerk, not even half a jerk. <laughs> Truth in advertising. It's important. Yeah. I think it was very, very smart of them. Because someone's going to look at that and go, like a, a dog whisperer is going to go, oh, I got this. I got this one. Here's hoping Ralphie uh, finds his forever home very, very soon. <laughs> you got a story for me, Linz? I do indeed. And this is a fairly long story uh, sent in by a listener who goes by the first name of Reed, which I always thought was a very, very cool name. Uh, Steve I love Jobs. It, any any name that is a noun like that's, Reed. That's a good point. Or yeah. Stone. Yeah, that's a cool name. That is a cool name. Yeah. Yeah. Jerk. That'd be a cool first name. <laughs> Steve Jobs went to Reed College and uh, named his son Reed, which I always oh. thought Reed Jobs was just such a cool name. It is yeah. cool. I love that. So Reed is telling this story personally because it, well, it happened to him, Reed. <laughs> not not Reed. Not, not Reed, Reed Jobs. Jobs. No, no, no. I grew up in rural New England in the mid-1960s through the mid-1980s in a quiet town of about 6,000 residents. And for a relatively small town, we had lots of places for high school kids to find after-school jobs. We had three gas stations, two pharmacies, three ice cream parlors, a grocery store, a surprisingly huge number of antique shops, and the hospital. The hospital was originally built as a private home in the early 1730s and then enlarged in 1898 to become a hotel on the local Boston and Maine Railroad branch line. Once the railroad through town closed, the customers dried up, the hotel was sold, and the building became a private psychiatric hospital in the late 1930s. This is the kind of building I would love to explore. Well, you can do that by yourself. (laughs) Because I have a very good friend in the East Coast who did that in a abandoned uh, psychiatric hospital somewhere outside New York City. Uh, and he's, he described what they found, and it was one of the creepiest things I had ever, I'd ever heard. You've seen those YouTube videos. Oh, where, yeah, yeah. Yeah, people go exploring in, in abandoned buildings. And, and for some reason, abandoned hospitals creep me out more than abandoned factories or other things. There's just... Well, you, you know untold hundreds of people over the years died there or suffered there you know yeah. that there's there's some energy in that building and it's oh, not yeah. necessarily good but, no and uh, when and when you when you look back on the way america used to treat mental yeah. illness oh yeah it's just even more sobering it's like <laughs> by the way reed writes the hospital still exists although these days it is a private detox facility you can find oh. them online if you know where to look. When I worked there, the main building in the hospital primarily housed long-term care patients, not those who needed psychiatric care, really more folks with dementia or severe cognitive disabilities. 
that made it impossible for them to take care of themselves. A good number of the patients were non-ambulatory and needed wheelchairs or walkers or other assistance to move around. There were probably fewer than 100 patients and staff. After school and in the summer, the hospital made use of local high school kids in the food service kitchen area with an adult head cook who ran the operation. There were generally four uniformed teenage girls who handled waitressing who act. And he puts that in quotes because Mm -hmm. he is realizing that that's that term is a little outdated. They actually interacted with the patients out of the dining room. Uh, Then there was the head cook, a cook's helper, and then the dishwasher, floor mop, cleanup person. At this point in in time, a job shared by me and my younger brother. We worked after school and weekends. I should also mention that at the time, the head cook was a guy we'll call Dave, a former music student of my dad's when he was a high school teacher in a neighboring town. So my brother and I didn't really know him very well, but he had a soft spot for us both. Every night before evening meal, the entire kitchen staff would sit down together and have dinner ourselves. We'd then scramble for final dinner prep, and the waitresses would serve dinner to the patients. After the evening meal, the waitresses would bust the tables, drop everything on the industrial dishwasher counter, wipe down the tables, dining room, head home. The cook would bring all pots and pans over to the dishwashing counter, wipe down their stoves, cook areas, also go home. Before we get to our story, there's one more character we need to introduce named <laughs> Ozzy. Oh, no. Who exactly Ozzy was, patient or staff member, we could never really get a straight answer from <laughs> Dave the cook. Although it was clear they knew there was more to the story, they just didn't feel like they could share it with kids. What we could say about Ozzy was that we knew he lived at the hospital. He seemed to be some sort of general handyman to we teenagers. He looked to be about a thousand years old. <laughs> He took great pains to be sure that he was at kitchen every night right on time, during which he would stare at these teenage waitresses and grumble incoherently while gumming his meal in his completely toothless mouth. So the night of the event started like any other. We all had dinner with Ozzy, and the waitresses then went out to serve the patients. They bust the tables. They put everything in the counter. Dave and his assistant cleaned up their cook areas, brought over the pots and pans. They all went home. I started in on the dishes, scrubbed everything. Then I filled up the rolling mop bucket using the kitchen hose, adding a generous amount of industrial floor cleaner we'd always used and started in on the mopping. Just as I finished mopping in the kitchen, kitchen staff break area, I was about to start in on the actual kitchen floor when Ozzy walked in the side door. Now, this was unusual, something he'd never done before when I was mopping, but he had the run of the place and carried a complete set of keys, so I didn't think anything of it. Ozzy comes up to me and stares for a second, then says, Good thing I caught you, boy. I've been getting all kinds of complaints about the shitty job you've been doing on the kitchen floor. (laughs) Now, this was new to me, and I told him that, and he replied, Oh, it's that Dave. He's too easy on you, and you're slacking off. Wait here. With that, Ozzy storms off, back out the side door, comes back in 30 seconds, and hands me a second bottle of industrial cleaner. He says, Pour in a good amount of this, then finish the floor, and make sure you get it good and wet, scrubbing it good. What was I to do? He was an adult, apparently employed by the hospital. I was just a kid doing a part-time job, so sure, what the heck. He had all the keys. And he had keys, and as we all know, if somebody's got a bunch of keys, they must know what they're doing, right? Exactly right. Yeah. So I did what I was told. I poured in some more of the new cleaner until he said, that's enough. Then I mixed it around the bucket with a mop. Once I'd done that, he took the bottle back, nodded again, and said, make sure you scrub it good and get it good and wet. And then he left, back into the hospital (laughs) corridor. 
So I did what that point what I was trained to do. I mopped the kitchen floor as I'd done dozens of times before, always walking backward toward the kitchen door, which was presently propped open to let in some air because the kitchen didn't have any air conditioning. It could be stifling in the summer heat. Now, the mix I was putting on the floor was a slightly different color than normal, but I didn't notice anything else. I finished the job, dumped the mop water outside, put away the mop and bucket, locked up the kitchen door, got on my bike, started for home on the other side of town, Wrapping up around 8 p.m. as always. After about four days, I ended up being the first of us to work again. I rode my bike to the hospital after school for the dinner meal shift. On arrival, I was immediately grabbed by the arm and hauled outside by Dave, who looked me in the face and yelled, What the hell did you do? (laughs) Obviously, I had no idea what he's talking about, and I told him that. He asked me to describe my last work shift. I told him the story I've described here. As understanding dawned, I saw his eyes shift and then go sad. He looked at me and said very quietly, never take things from Ozzy. Make sure your brother knows this too. (laughs) Apparently what had happened was at 2 a.m. that night, a passing hospital staffer had smelled something unusual coming from the kitchen, got security to unlock the side door. They both were then assaulted by a noxious cloud of fumes that burned their eyes and nose. Fearing the worst, they pulled the fire alarm. Oh, no. Forcing an immediate evacuation of the building. All patients and staff had to get out. The fire department swarmed all over the building, trying to figure out what was wrong. After they vented the kitchen and unable to find any cause for the fumes after looking for four hours they could conclude only there had been some sort of industrial spill. The fire department cleared them to bring the patients back in. The kitchen was shut down for several days to be thoroughly scrubbed (laughs) by a commercial cleaning company. Oh, my God. This while the patients were fed takeout food at enormous expense. Everyone assumed it was my fault somehow, but this being the 80s and our town being the model of small-town America, they left it to Dave to talk to me rather than rushing to immediately have me arrested on the spot. (laughs) Apparently, whatever Ozzy had given me had mixed with the cleaner in the bucket and had literally created dangerous, toxic gas. I hadn't noticed, because I was walking backward the entire time, the kitchen door was open, allowing clean air in. But once that door was locked and the kitchen was bottled up for the night, toxic soup. Looking back at it over the years, the mixture was likely in the bucket would have been deadly if somebody had inhaled enough of it. Obviously, I was blameless. I kept washing dishes there for another year until I moved on to my first computer industry job and then college. My brother kept working there another two years until he also left for college. But even at that time... Ozzy still showed up for every meal right on time. (laughs) Let this be a lesson, kids. If somebody named Ozzy says, pour this in your bucket when you clean the floors, Mm. best not to listen to Ozzy. Don't listen to Ozzy. Or anybody just because they have keys. Yes, that's the lesson that we've learned here today. So our thanks to our listener and subscriber, our good pal Reed, who entitled this story, The Gassing of Hospital Hill. <laughs> that is a lovely, a lovely story. I wonder if it was, what is it, ammonia and bleach? If you mix that yeah, together, it becomes yeah. like po- deadly poison, right? Yeah, it can be, it can be deadly from what I, I, I never did it, but I remember learning as a kid in school mm. that that's a, that's a ticket to disaster. It is indeed. So thanks, Reed. We appreciate your, uh, we appreciate your email and, uh, 
as as always, anyone is encouraged to email us, lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. You know, JG, this is the time of year where people start planning family reunions for the summer. In fact, I have one coming up in June, and I'm absolutely convinced that these cousins that I haven't seen for a while are finally going to tell me, yeah, I listened to your podcast. I don't think you guys are very good. I didn't laugh. Well, humor is subjective. So while you may have to grin and bear with your family, you shouldn't feel that way when you're talking to your doctor about, I don't know, that you maybe eat pizza one too many times a week, something like that. Well, enter ZocDoc. That's the place where you can find a book doctors will make you feel comfortable and actually listen to you. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual, real patients. And we're not talking about a few. We're talking about tens of thousands of doctors. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Look, people love this app and this website. Next time I'm looking for a doctor, this is definitely what I'm going to use. Go to ZocDoc.com slash TSE and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash T-S-E. ZocDoc.com slash T-S-E. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. You're in the shallow end with Schnappley and Toth. Using Siri and Alexa has been a game changer. Getting instant answers to any question or command has simplified our lives. Introducing Alexary, the AI assistant that dramatically changes the rules of interaction with your smartphone and other devices. Because Alexary tells you things other assistants don't. Check this out. Hey, Alexary, how long before our dinner guests arrive? Karen and John will be here in 17 minutes. By the way, Karen's really mad at John because he didn't compliment her new dress. You see, Alexary tells you things about people no one else can, so you'll always get the lowdown on any situation. Like this. Hey, Alexary, who's going to win the game on Saturday? Minnesota will win by five points because New York's distracted by front office drama that's affecting the coaching staff. The team's owner was caught in bed with his lawyer and her cat. The media doesn't know. 
yet. Hey Alexa, why wasn't Pastor Davis at church today? Pastor Davis was too hungover to attend services today. He lost $15,000 of church money at the roulette table. Your church is quietly searching for a new pastor. Alexa, the next generation of AI assistant. Alexa is not yet available for Apple or Android devices. Use of Alexa may result in things you really don't want to know about people you love. Do not use Alexa while driving or operating heavy equipment or machinery. Alexa may result in severe depression. Alexary, be careful what you want to know. We're promoting your self-esteem through other people's stupidity. You're in the shallow end with Schnebly and Toth. Again, the email address is lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. This is uh, from a listener named Richard who says, Hey guys, love the show. Hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious that listener got offended by the pickleball commercial. <laughs> Lindsay talks about fire inspector turned arsonist John Orr, another podcast, Killer Psyche, in their first season did an episode on this guy. Biggest reason he was set fires was for his ego to boost his popularity. Excellent podcast, but definitely has some dark episodes. Ooh. So noted. P.S. My shallow end moment. I couldn't understand why all my podcasts were playing so fast. I was unaware you could increase the playback speed. Not sure why anyone would want to listen to a podcast faster than normal speed, but I fixed the setting now and everything is good in the world. Party on, my friends. Thanks, Richard. <laughs> I, I didn't discover this myself until very early on listening to Box uh-huh. when I somehow set Box of Oddities to playback at f- half speed, 0.5%. Uh-huh. Have uh-huh. you ever listened to it? No, but I, I bet it at half speed we sound drunk. You sound stoned off your gourds and <laughs> dumb as stumps because there are these long pauses where it's. But but the the cool thing is that the pitch doesn't change, so it sounded just like you and Cat, but taking twice as long to think to say everything. Yeah, and uh, yeah. maybe, and maybe so, that was just an unedited version that, uh, somehow. <laughs> Before was uploaded the, by mistake. Oops. <laughs> Before you guys did all that processing that makes you sound intelligent. <laughs> the intelligence filter. <laughs> right. Samantha sent us an email. Thought I'd share a quick shallow end story on my end. I was about 17 at the time and was working my first job at a popular Wisconsin gas station. Quick trip. I wanted to do well, but was an awkward ditzy teen. My boss was uh, filling the cooler and radioed me to go check on the outside and see what he needed to fill in a certain row. When I got to the front of the cooler, I'm horrified by the fact that the tiny tag on my side read, Orgy. (laughs) My boss then radios me again and asks about what the tag says. I stare for a good five or six seconds, and then over the radio, I say, Orgy. And he gave me the most what-the-fuck look through the cooler and then radios me again. It says, what? I said, orgy over the radio. After saying it a second time, I immediately realized the tag was supposed to say original. Um, I was never so mortified. I still lay awake at night thinking about my coworkers, wondering why I kept saying orgy over the radio. O-R-G-I. Mm-hmm. Orgy. Orgy. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Samantha. Glad that worked out. I'll think of you next time I go to a quick trip in Wisconsin. Have you ever been to Wisconsin? I've never been to Wisconsin, no. Cool, cool place. My dad got his uh, PhD at the University of uh, Wisconsin in Madison. 
So, oh, very cool. I yeah. did not know that. Yep, he did. He did live there for a while. Nancy's uh, family uh, had at one time several cabins in in Wisconsin, across from the uh, across the Saint Croix River, which separates Minnesota and Wisconsin. Right, and there was a small town. The they had this small diner with these incredible breakfasts. You'd have like six people for breakfast and the and the bill would come to like thirty five dollars because sure. it was yeah. so inexpensive and the portions were huge and the food was delicious. The staff at this restaurant had T shirts and on the back it said, What happens in Webster goes around town in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever wondered what really happened to Amelia Earhart or the lost colony of Roanoke? Do you ever find yourself scouring the internet for vicious Victorians and their murders by gaslight? Or perhaps you're just sick and tired of women being constantly misrepresented or plain lied about throughout history? If so, join me, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books on Who Did What Now? The history podcast that's not your history class. Part of the Area of Media Network. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Adios, au revoir, au revoir, zen, my friends. Bye bye. I'll be seeing you. Well, that's an interesting lead in to my story. Perfect. Committing crimes in small towns, not always a good idea. No. And there are many ways to catch a criminal. Some of them are fairly simple, as simple as setting up a roadblock or maybe just collecting evidence at a crime scene. Mm-hmm. Some are a little more sophisticated, fingerprinting, although fingerprinting could be considered high tech. It actually dates back to 1892. Did you know that? I didn't know that. No, I had no idea. But did you know that now when they collect fingerprints, they can tell the sex of the person who left the print based on amino acids found in skin oil? Shut the front door. I don't believe that. And of course, one of the most significant developments in forensic science was the advent of DNA DNA profiling. Which we've talked about a number of times on both Shallow End and uh, You and Cat on Box. This started in the 1980s, and it continues to advance and become more sophisticated every, well, as every year goes by. Even if the DNA is unable to determine the person's identity, it's at a point now where we can still learn things like eye and hair color based on genetic markers known as single nucleotide polymorphisms. Wow. Uh, they're, they're using this tech right now to create what's being called predictive digital mugshots. Really? Yeah, it's pretty high tech stuff. That's cool. But sometimes the criminal is so bungling it doesn't take very high tech forensics <laughs> to catch them. A good example of that is is a guy from North Carolina whose name is Donnie Guy. What a great name. Donnie lived in the small town of Hickory, North Carolina. It's a fairly typical rural southern town. And in towns this size, it's not uncommon for most people to know everybody in town, like you were talking about. Mm -hmm. This in and of itself creates problems if you want to commit a crime there. (laughs) (laughs) But Donnie's attempt at thieving goes beyond that. Thieving. Donnie had decided that he was going to rob a local restaurant. The restaurant was called Captain Galley's Seafood in Hickory, North Carolina. Donnie was very familiar with the restaurant 
because he lived in the same neighborhood. Now, again, if you're going to be criming, don't yeah. crime in a small town where everybody knows you. And really don't crime in a small town in the same neighborhood you live in. Amen. This this reminds me of the story of the uh, the two uh, Aussies who held up the place in Vail where they happened to be bank, yeah. yep. bank members. Yeah. Very similar. Now, Donnie had noticed that on the counter at the restaurant at Captain Galley's, there was not one but two cash registers. And of course, in his mind anyway, that meant twice as much money. Sure. It was May in the year 2009 when Donnie decided to put his plan into action. It was 11.30 at night when he broke into Captain Galley's Seafood. <laughs> Donnie, I guess, wasn't expecting or certainly didn't appear to anticipate that there might be an alarm system in place. Hmm. Because as soon as he broke in and entered the restaurant at 11.30 at night, the alarm goes off. And Donnie was startled and knew that he had to act quickly. So sure. he scurried about trying to unplug the cash registers. He was trying to steal both of them at the same time, but they were both too bulky and heavy for him to carry them both out. We know all of this because a security camera provided footage of the entire incident. Of course. So Donnie walks in and he tries to steal both cash registers and is unable to do so. Both of the cash registers are plugged in, so he keeps trying to pick them up, but they're <laughs> attached to the plugs and they keep pulling it back to the uh, the countertop. This is so priceless. He's struggling to get the cash registers free with no luck at all. He's trying to do two at once. Yeah. So at this point, he decides to consolidate his effort and focus on just one register, which was a, a smart strategy. And he finally manages to get one of the cash registers unplugged but in the process you know he's flailing about and he's tugging on this thing and he's knocking candy and paper <laughs> off the counter and the cash <laughs> register tape rolls out and falls underneath the counter and donnie donnie's worried that the alarm is going off and he's got to get the hell out of there sure so he quickly secures the cash register under his arm and then makes his getaway then donnie acted to his credit very quickly he was able to be long gone by the time the uh, police were there to check on the alarm. So law enforcement arrives and they quickly confirm that this was not just a false alarm, but an actual break-in. They pull their pistols and they slowly open the door to the restaurant and they enter and they see one of the cash registers is missing. And they notice that the area is in disarray, that candy has been knocked off on the floor and there's paper scattered about. But the most intriguing thing to them was the cash register roll underneath the counter. Mm -hmm. The cash register tape was not just under the counter, but a trail of it led across the floor and out the door. <laughs> now, as I mentioned, Donnie lived in the neighborhood not far away. In fact, he lived in an apartment that was less than one cash register tape roll away from the restaurant. <laughs> so police literally followed the trail of paper from the restaurant. That's just good police work, right? <laughs> it is. And they follow the tape right to Donnie's apartment building. They then follow the tape inside the lobby and up the stairs and right to Donnie's door where the tape disappears underneath of the door. Oh, dear Lord. Donnie, 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 Donnie. So as police are standing outside Donnie's door, 
They could hear a loud banging noise coming from inside his apartment. Like the sound of so maybe somebody trying to, say, open a cash register? Yeah, with a hammer and a screwdriver. Uh-huh. So police just politely knock on the door. <laughs> and Donnie opens the door and uh-huh. police order Donnie to drop the screwdriver and come outside. Donnie responds by slamming and locking the door. So yeah, yeah. the police are like, yeah, we better radio for backup. This guy looks like he's a little bit, uh, well, he's agitated. Well, and he's uh, holding a screwdriver and a hammer. So yeah, you know, once backup arrives, they were able to gain entry to the apartment and they found a slightly battered cash register lying on the floor of the apartment. But no Donnie. What? Where's Donnie? Where did Donnie go? Well, police quickly found him trying to hide under his couch. <laughs> did the, ch- did was- the cash register tape then go uh, to underneath the sofa? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been priceless. Yeah. Donnie, of course, was erect- uh, erected. Maybe he was. I don't know. Maybe he was. Yeah. Donnie was arrested. So the guy, the guy who owns Captain Galley's restaurant was asked... <laughs> by the local press his feelings on the matter and he said at first he was really mad at Donnie but since Donnie was caught so quickly and after watching this video he says he can't help but look at it as a pretty comical situation (laughs) needless to say stories like this are not quickly forgotten in small towns like Hickory North Carolina and I'm not sure what happened to Donnie but if it was me, once I got out of jail, I would have immediately moved. I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah. That's that's your cue to leave. <laughs> oh, Donnie. <laughs> Donnie. My, my source information, oh. criminals book, uh, the Hickory Daily Record, and something else that I don't remember. <laughs> but I'm sure it was good. Yeah. Hell yeah. Boy, people can do ridiculously silly things. I mean, I understand he was in a hurry, but <laughs> you don't notice the... Uh, the cash register tape fluttering out behind you as you make your getaway? Maybe you're so focused on making your getaway that you don't take the time to look behind you and see that this <laughs> two-inch wide piece of tape is <laughs> literally following you everywhere you go. <laughs> oh, boy. Again, if you would like to reach out to us, we love being reached out to. Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. I question uh, the uh, the grammar or the sentence construction on that, but I'm I'm just going to let it go. I appreciate your willingness to forgive and forget. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to look the other way this time. I did not see that. I did not hear that. It's been a long week, Linz. I know, I know. We very much look forward to hanging out with you again in the near future. And until then, our words of advice to you are to make good choices. Your life might depend on it. So concludes another episode of The Shallow End with Schnebly and Toff. We thank you for listening. Oh, be a dear, would you? Please subscribe to this podcast, give these boys a five-star rating, and think of something nice to say, even if you have to make something up. And visit us online at shallowendpodcast.com. Misuse of this podcast may result in serious injury or even death. Follow all label directions. This offer void in Fort Kent, Maine, and Tucson, Arizona. And parts of Orlando. Don't ask. Just trust us. Okay, gotta go.